Welcome to Lent. It's a 40-day walk with Jesus uh, to the cross, and we culminate in Holy Week with Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter slash Resurrection Sunday. Glad to have you here with us. As we encounter Jesus in a public way, I entitled this series over the next seven weeks, Public Jesus. Public Jesus. We're going to look at the ways in which Jesus connected with people transformationally in public. Think about it. So much of what we do as Christian people in our cultural context today is in church. But Jesus was the opposite of that. Jesus was encountered in public. So I thought what an interesting juxtaposition uh, to turn that around and see Jesus at work in the public uh, sphere. So welcome. This morning, watch your pronouns. <laughs> his name was Scotty. He and his wife Sue moved uh, across the street and up the street from us in Seattle about 11 years ago. And our relationship with Scotty and Sue was just cordial and distant and neighborly from afar, if you know what I mean. And by that I mean I'd be out on my deck power washing which you have to do three or four times a year in Seattle because of the moss, because it rains 10 months a year. And so he would drive by in his car, and I'd be out there power washing, all Gore-Texed out, and he would drive by in his car, and we'd just toss a wave, and he'd give me a smile the size of Texas from a distance. And as the weather cleared, I'd be out watering or doing some gardening or cutting the grass. Actually, I got tired of cutting the grass, I'll be honest. Dawn would be cutting the grass. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. But we'd be out there, you know, tinkering around in the yard, and here would come Scotty. He was a Volvo salesman, and he'd drive down the street in his Volvo convertible, and he'd give me a big old wave. He was kind of balding. Once in a while, he'd have a ball cap on, and he didn't really care if he looked cool or not. He just has ball cap on, balding head, driving in his conver Volvo convertible. He'd come to the stop sign at the end of our street, and he always had just this giant Churchill cigar in his mouth. He'd throw his hand up in the air as if to say, Heidi doody, neighbor. He'd take a puff of his cigar. His car would turn the corner and be out of sight, and my favorite part, I could still see the waft of cigar smoke wavering in the wind. And as I was up on my deck or in my backyard hoping that I would get a whiff of that. <laughs> Come this way, please. So that's how we initially met Scotty and Sue, and it was from a distance to be sure. About a year passed, and we didn't see a whole lot of them. We didn't know what, would ha what happened to them. We thought maybe, like many neighbors, or at least a few neighbors, they, something happened, a life change or transition, and they moved out on a weekend that we weren't there. And we got to a time in the year, about, about now actually, we had a history in the Wilson household. About every two years, we decided that it would be good for all of us to declare a day of the entire family being grounded. That usually goes over well. But we declared the Wilson family grounded on this particular Saturday because the mother and father who were still relatively in charge wanted to 
build some sense of virtue into the lives of our formative adolescence, so we called a family work day. And on this particular Saturday, we had made arrangements a couple days before. We called a local landscape shop, and we needed eight yards of beauty bark delivered by 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, March, whatever. And they got there early, and they dumped their eight yards of beauty bark. Has anybody ever hauled eight yards of beauty bark? Thank you. That's a lot of beauty bark. So they dumped this ginormous truckload of eight yards of beauty bark, and it's smoking. And it has this aroma. And of course, our task as parents is to be bubbly and excited about our family workday. As we head downstairs to awaken our slumbering hibernating adolescent children who jump out of bed they can't wait to help, (laughs) throw on their clothes faster than anyone I've ever seen in my life. They don't need coffee. They're standing at the front door with their work gloves on, ready to go, and a smile on their face, and they say, what's taking you guys so long? Well, of course, that's a lie. But we find our way outside and we begin our work day. We have one wheelbarrow, a big one, and one shovel, and there's four of us. Dawn decides this will go faster, and I concurred with her. If she would go up the street and talk to Scotty and Sue to see if they had a wheelbarrow and a shovel that we could borrow. And Dawn came frolicking down the hill like Dawn does, because she's the really the only morning person in our family. And now more than two minutes later, coming down the street, where Scotty and Sue, Scotty with his work gloves, his work clothes on, with a big old smile and that, that awesome cigar in his mouth, and Sue holding the shovel, and they came down, and uh, for the next two and a half hours, we worked feverishly, and we moved all eight yards of that beauty bark. And it was done. And we were done. We sat on a bench and we began to have a little bit more of an adult conversation. The kids were gone, now they're free. Woohoo! And we got to know Scotty and Sue. We discovered that we hadn't seen Scotty for a while over the last year because Scotty almost passed away. He explained what had happened to him and, and he was now recovering from this. And as I looked at Scotty, I noticed his whole body was shaking. And then I looked at myself and I realized my body's shaking too from hauling eight yards of beauty bark. I learned as we sat on that bench that he was a former Presbyterian minister in Southern California. Southern California was still, to me and us, a long way away. They had this strange fireball in the sky that we were not accustomed to. (laughs) But we prayed for vehemently, very often, this time of year. We were grateful to hold a cup of latte in our hands and use it as a hand warmer at the same time. And while we were talking on our bench, about 11 years ago, Scotty said something to me that was interesting. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a Presbyterian pastor right up the street around the corner, only about two stop signs away, shortest commute ever. He sat there quietly for a moment, thinking. He said, I 
I think we're going to come visit your church. Which, how often does that happen? I said, oh, really, why is that? He said, there's something that's incongruent in my life. And then he went on to declare a bold statement. He said, my life needs to be congruent. What a wonderful word he used. Congruence. This Lenten season, public Jesus, is about a congruent life. Congruent life where my inner state of being matches who I am and the way I act on the outside. Those aren't two separate things. A life of congruence. Bringing the internal peace together with the external projection of peace. So let's kick up some Jesus dust this Lent together. Walking in the sandals of Christ Risking seeing him for the first time again. So I'll ask you over the next seven weeks to imagine you've never heard any of these stories before. Never heard of it. Familiarity does, unfortunately, breed contempt. So let's set aside everything we think we know about Jesus and enter into the story again for the first time. That's what Lent is. A season to experience a public Jesus. A God of demand and a God of grace. Not hard demand. Not sentimental grace. As I mentioned last week. But a God of demand and a God of grace. Right? I'd like to give you four G's this morning. Hopefully it will help us remember this story. What's our goal? What really is the goal as Christian people as we enter into a season of Lent, as we encounter a public Jesus? Here's the goal. It's the word. Scotty brought it to my mind 11 years ago, and it's a great one. The goal is congruence. Dawn asked me last night, what are you talking about today? And I used the word congruence, and she said, what does that mean? I had already looked it up, sweetheart. (laughs) Congruence is the quality or state of agreeing or corresponding, according to the dictionary. The quality or state of agreeing, corresponding, that who I am on the inside agrees and corresponds with the way I act on the outside. Or, another way to define it might be easier. My outer self is a true representation of my inner self, and those two correspond. They're congruent. It's the same. I'm not hypocritical. I'm not two-faced. I'm not passive-aggressive. The goal in the text that I will read shortly is congruence. Congruence could also be another word for integrity. But since integrity is overused and underlived into, let's go with the word congruence this morning with a smile and smirk on our face. After all, the gospel is nothing if it's not lived and heard slant in new and fresh ways.
Scotty was from Scotland. Scotty, I learned, <laughs> I learned five years later, wasn't even his real name. His real name was Ronald. But since he was from Scotland, and he spoke in a, I mean, I just wanted to sit next to him unless, I didn't even want to say anything. I just wanted to listen to him talk in his Scottish brogue. He didn't go by his birth name anymore. He just went by Scotty from Scotland. Called him Scotty. He was bigger than life. He was an extrovert with a capital E. He was filled with wisdom and one-liners and jokes. And yeah, don't get upset. We did share a good cigar upon occasion. And I have to be honest with you, I, almost, I miss him almost every day. He lives in Scotland now, and, and actually I wonder if I'll ever see him again. And he suffers from Parkinson's. So the first G this morning is what is the goal? <laughs> what is the goal of a life of faith during a season of Lent? Congruence. And now I want to pick up in the text because our second G draws our attention and imagination to the second G, which is a grumbler. A grumbler. And what Jesus is doing here is he's showing congruence by using a negative to prove a positive. Hang with me. I'll make it real in a minute. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, I love this. Come on, man. He's like, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you and your brother? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, he thought to himself. Now somebody do me a favor. Count all the I's and me's and mine. Would you do that for the next three verses? Just somebody do it. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. See what's happening? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. That's my Scotty version. It was, it was horrible. It was horrible. But God said to him, you fool. Now I looked up this word. Because fool in, in Greek can sometimes mean moron, and I was actually hoping it wasn't that word. I, I kind of felt bad if Jesus would call somebody a moron. And it wasn't that word. It was... It's, it, we translate it, you fool, but the original is more like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's silly. It makes no sense. It's nonsensical. You nonsensical person, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And let's hit the pause button. 
right there. So we got a grumbler here, right? Now what's interesting about the grumbler, what's interesting about this rich young ruler is there was congruence in his life. It was negative congruence. Inside of him, he was anxious about the future. Inside of him, he was greedy about hanging on to what he had and getting more so that he could at least attempt to alleviate anxiety about the future when the future came. So Jesus here is using a negative to prove a positive. The need for healthy, realm of God, congruence in one's life. So we can either worry inside being congruent to that would be, I'm going to get in a land dispute with my brother, which is what's happening here. He wants more of his brother's land so that he can store more things for himself. That's negative congruence. At least he was acting outwardly the way he's feeling inwardly. You see what's happening here? You tracking with me? Somebody give me a nod. Wake up, ladies and gentlemen. It's only one hour. <laughs> Kidding me. Right? So this is kind of a crazy story that Jesus is, is thrusting upon us here, but he's asking us to do something very significant, something very profound. Are you at peace on the inside? If you are, you will behave accordingly. If you're anxious on the inside, if you're afraid on the inside, if darkness is greater than the light inside of you, you will behave more according to darkness on the outside. So we've got this amazing, amazing grumbler right out of the gate in the story. And I asked you to notice how many eyes and mine there were. Did anybody make a final count? Ten? Ten, depending on translations. It could be anywhere from ten to thirteen. Thirteen, ten to thirteen times in three verses, it was all about this guy. It was all about I, me, my. Here's the real zinger this morning. Perhaps a life that is not incongruence uses more I pronouns than any other pronoun. I me, my. My little precious. <laughs> He's using the negative to teach us a lesson. Not that, but this. Right? So the warning this morning is very simple. Guard your pronouns. Watch your pronouns. Too many I's, too many me's, too many my's, too many mine, and you may be perhaps, perhaps in a crash and burn mode. Because there's no one, there's no room for anyone or anything else, especially God, to step in.
Which is good because now it brings us to the third G, which is grace. We're not left here. Now we're going to make a quick turn. Right? We're going to pick up our story again. Because when we're anxious, when we worry, when we're afraid, when we fear, congruence is absent. We are then, by definition, incongruent. And yet, grace now dives in like a raven. to bring us to our senses. Check out the text. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, you don't need to worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for your life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Relax, lighten up. No need to be afraid. You don't have to store it up. Consider the ravens. Now he gives three reasons for us to do this. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. God takes care of the birds of the air. And yet how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, can, by, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very, very little thing, why, why do you worry about the rest? So no need to worry. Consider how the wildflowers, consider the wildflowers and how they grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So yesterday, Don and I needed a little beauty. And we decided to find a location where we could go and look at some of, well, they're technically not wildflowers. And Matthew's Gospel calls them lilies. This morning, I'm calling them poppies. Because I can You see, the grace in the text here is when we're using too many of the wrong I, me, my pronouns, the antidote, the grace that's diving in to reground us is very simple. Go outside. Just go outside and start looking around. Because when we go outside, we learn not to take ourselves and I, me, and minds too seriously. We learn that God has this. We learn that God has us. We learn that God has that. We learn that God has the birds of the air. And if God's got those folks, isn't he going to have us also? The ravens, the lilies, the poppies, the grass, they're all taken care of. And so Don and I decided we needed a little bit of beauty yesterday in the midst of a little bit of I, me, and my worry and anxiety about an assortment of things. So we got in our car and we drove, and actually I'm hoping when we get there that we don't have to walk much further than a mile or two. Because i got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm 
an older middle-aged guy now or a younger older-aged guy now? It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of right in the middle. You know, I'm kind of right in that middle thing going on there. And, and probably, by definition, we're closer to young old age than old middle age. But we still haven't lost the idealism of why we've been put on the planet. Which is to make a difference wherever God has for us for the time that we're there. You know, in six years it was Chicago, and 10 years it was Minneapolis, and 16 years it was Seattle, and almost five years Southern California. So we took a field trip yesterday to your great state that many of you know much better than we do. We wanted to go sightsee the state flower that was on full display yesterday. Super bloom, they called it. And it was super bloom yesterday. The orange and the blue, and the, we didn't see red per se, but look at that. That's what we saw. But you know, those things are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Metaphorically tomorrow. For sure they're gone in a month. And God says, I take care of them. So I'm going to take care of you. If I'm going to take care of this, God says, I'm taking care of you. So we took our walk, and it wasn't a sentimental walk. It wasn't a nostalgic walk. It was a walk in and through nature meant to attend to the serious business of congruence. Sometimes you need to get outside when you're incongruent and take a walk so that you go about the serious business of congruence. So our walk at Lake Elsinore led for the serious business of congruence to have its way in our lives to let our body catch up with our soul so that we could allow the dark places in our soul to be evaporated and the who we are and the why we do it catches up to what we do so that it was all seamless. That's not an easy task. Congruence is not an easy task. especially in Orange County. The uber pace of Orange County where everybody has an opinion and has a schedule, God might at best find a moment if we're lucky. And yet, the wisdom of the text is when your life's not congruent, go outside until, until you find it by the grace of God. Pulitzer Prize winning poet Mary Oliver, I don't know, has anyone heard of Mary Oliver? She recently passed away. Wrote a poem called Poppies. Today's a little different, can you tell? I got a little poetry coming. 
Here's what she writes about poppies, and just let the words connect with the image. The poppies send up their orange flares, swaying in the wind. Their congregations are a levitation of bright dust, of thin and lacy leaves, but also they say this, that light is an invitation to happiness, and that happiness, when it's done right, is a kind of holiness. Palpable and redemptive. Touched by their rough and spongy gold, I am washed and washed in the river of God's earthly gracious delight. So if the birds and the poppies and the green emerald hills that were on display yesterday are taken care of by God, so are you. And the really, the grand surprise of it is my fourth G. Somehow it gives way to gratitude. (laughs) See, congruent life, it's not about you or me anymore. It's about what God's doing. And our only best human response is, honestly, Thanks and praise be to God. Right? Grace offers congruence. Congruence offers gratitude. And gratitude offers a new way forward. Let's pull the text up now and finish reading. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, my friends? Oh, we are all troubled by such little faith. And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. Everybody else runs after all these things. The Creator in heaven knows that you need them. Next slide. This is such a great sermon. You're in deep contemplation and you can't remember what the next one is. But seek His kingdom, God's realm. And all these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, friends. Your creator in heaven has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now certainly this text isn't about selling everything and being destitute. This text is about congruence. 
It's about enough. It's about your public self matching your inner self. It's about letting Jesus Christ play in 10,000 places, according to Gerard Manley Hopkins. You know, when I met Scotty, he became the older brother that I always wanted and never had. He was about 15 years older, 12 years older than me, so maybe a mentor, but actually I viewed him like a brother. It's hard work being the oldest son. It's kind of lonely. I don't like it. I wish I had somebody that blazed a trail before me. Somebody that I could lean into for advice and help. But Scotty became that for me. He really did. And he liked me. (laughs) And I didn't have to pay him. And he kept coming to our church and he, he said, you have a message and you don't make me feel bad. You lead me to congruence, he said later. We shared life together for a few short years. Lots of 4th of July fireworks on our deck. You could see the fireworks on the Puget Sound from our deck. So people came, brought food and drink. We became golfing buddies. We loved to garden. We shared perennials, dahlias, spiders, a whole assortment of different colors and and, uh, varietals that bloomed throughout different times of the season. We had this thing nailed down. It was a cultivated friendship. I I encouraged him and he encouraged me. I even had him come preach one time and I'm telling you, the guy rocked it. And I'm not sure if it was because it was great content or it was because everybody was mesmerized by his Scottish accent. (laughs) But either way, we'll take it. We met with his wife, Sue, in the hospital and Scotty later after a Parkinson's diagnosis. diagnosis. In fact, our whole family one time re-roofed his house and we didn't ask for any money. He saw us re-roofing mine and he says, you know, my house needs to be re-roofed. And I said, Maddie and I can do it, which means Maddie and I and Dawn and Katie. And it was a family affair, a community affair. No money was exchanged. Total and complete congruence. No expectation for payment. Scotty even got my soon-to-be son-in-law a job at the car dealer he was working at, and now the BMW dealer in Bellevue, Washington. After we moved down here one day, I got an envelope in the office. It was postmarked weird, It like said World Vision. And inside of it was four crisp $100 bills. Now I worked at World Vision for two years and I can guarantee you, nobody at World Vision is sending anybody four crisp brand new $100 bills. Scotty just decided to send 400 bucks on our anniversary. We enjoyed a lot of life and yeah, a lot of cigars.
That's congruence. That's life together. That's God providing for each of us with just enough. It was and still is beautiful. I miss him every day. He's still alive. Scotty, my man. Just like someday I'm going to miss a lot of you. Because it's what happens when life is lived out loud in public with a public Jesus. It's what happens when you live life together that's congruent and honest and open and challenging and conflicted and resolving those conflicts. Because that's the beauty of what God does transformationally in the life of every person and every church who has eyes to see and ears to hear. It reminds me of a poem. Gerard Manley Hopkins. I almost named this Lenten series Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, but I decided that that was too long and too academic and too confusing. (laughs) It's still a great line. I'd like to finish today with a brief quote from that. Because I have a hunch that the God of demand and the God of grace wants to meet us all in public and lead us to a life that is congruent. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to let Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, find us in every area of life where we find ourselves. Classrooms. Hospital rooms, bedrooms, grocery stores, homes with children gone, homes with children there. The list is long and large. The poem finishes like this. The just person justices keeps grace. It keeps all her goings graces. Acts in God's eye what in God's eye she is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not hers, to the Father through the features of people's faces. My friends, watch your pronouns. My friends, seek congruence. Why? Christ plays in 10,000 places. Let's pray. Admittedly, a different thought for the day.
somewhat contemplative, somewhat mystical, somewhat transformational. And all of that flies really in the face of, well, dare I say, a fast-paced Disney Southern California. But we must and we will. Push away the distractions to hear honestly from your spirit that searches all hearts, minds, and souls and leads us to a God who delights, delights, delights incongruence. Lead on, O King Eternal. Search on, O Holy Spirit of God, as we are made more and more into the image of the one that we call Creator, Sustainer, Moon Maker. And may that just be enough this day.